Welcome to Machine Learning. Well, this is the week recap on machine learning. And uh, I'm doing a lot of YouTubes um, covering the projects I've done in the past. And it's been interesting going back, looking at some of the work that I did. And I know one thing that's super important when you... Um, when you do these projects is uh, write out the conclusions that you found right up front and uh, or your hypothesis because sometimes you can get lost in why did I do this or why did I do that and then um, because it, uh, because the, your your processes might be pretty complex and so uh, um trying to remember or retain why you did something is going to be very difficult but if you have kind of like a roadmap of where you were trying to go uh, then you can kind of navigate through some of the complexity and you can always do you know use google to look it up but uh, there's you know you think well i'll always remember how why i did this lookup or this average or this function but a lot of times you really don't. You don't remember, and so it's important to add some pseudocode-like uh, language in with your code, so that uh, when you come back and look at the code, it's, it uh, helps become familiar with it. Well, uh, you know, I've looked, been thinking about this uh, energy density, and the uh, we know that. Uh, Tesla's been it's got its new batteries and you know they've got a new uh, technology for making the battery and they're um, you know noticing uh, from what I saw six-fold increase so you're gonna get increased range on the battery cars range on the battery and um, but that's in competition with Toyota and Toyota is saying that they're they think that the the solid state battery with a quick recharge uh, time will be the, f the future and so you know they're they're investing in uh, companies like quantum space that have now said that they've solved some of the technical problems with with solid state batteries uh, solid state bath battery has an anode and cathode and then a, a electrolyte substance in between that kind of acts like the membrane and uh, so it's the chemicals in the battery it's a chemical battery and uh, and uh, it uh, can be recharged and discharged and, uh, very quickly and uh, and so you know as Toyota releases a, a new variety of cars for the future a lot of them will Hopefully, within the next five or ten years, we'll have this solid-state battery technology. Now, it's also interesting that uh, Toyota hasn't given up on the hydrogen proposition. Uh, the idea that uh, hydrogen uh, will uh, um, have hydrogen refilling stations and that you can fill up your your vehicle with hydrogen and uh, and travel. Now, what Tesla said when I, I watched his presentation, he's, he, they show uh, the process 
from the point of, of your hydrogen to the to your motor and the efficiency in terms of uh, uh, loss so energy loss and so they're saying well you know electric batteries are more efficient because they they uh, you know have less energy loss between the from the the battery to the to the motor because hydrogen has to sometimes go through uh, multiple processes before it gets to the motor. You got to go through the uh, membrane, the, the fuel cell stack, and uh, and those uh, uh, those processes uh, 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 expend a portion of the energy. But see. I am not sure why, if that's the main motivator for uh, using hydrogen is the efficiency argument. I think that the, the main reason for using hydrogen is the range argument that, uh, you know, that I can get uh, four, four or five, 400 miles uh, to, uh, or three to 400 miles to a a tank full of hydrogen, and then uh, refueling time for the hydrogen is uh, uh, probably somewhere in the 10 minute range. And so, um, for those reasons, I think that you know, hydrogen uh, probably is makes sense, and then also the the there's just an abundant, like almost an unlimited amount of hydrogen that is available in the on the Earth, and that comes in the form of water and our atmosphere. And so, you know, using a substance that uh, is uh, uh, recyclable and, and uh, renewable and, and unlimited makes sense to me. And so. I like the idea of hydrogen as a fuel. It's a, it seems like a good idea. Well, okay, next thing I want to talk about is electric planes. And so, electric plane idea also um, originates by Tesla. And you, you know, you're talking about a high-speed plane. about a high-speed plane that uh, uh, can fly across the, uh, the United States or in most cases what the, he said was that it would you most of the local flights are within 300 miles so if you had a, a plane that could fly for 300 miles then you'd have you could uh, have batteries that were replaceable on the plane every uh, 
every flight. So while people, while the passengers are unloading, uh, the crew or the robots are are replacing uh, what the spent battery with a charge battery, and so. Um, the, the big problem that they have is energy, energy density. And so with the newer batteries and the better in energy density, then they can get the range on the plane. And the argument behind that is that uh, electric planes would have less carbon emissions. So it's more environmental friendly. And we're starting to see that more um, where the economics of the process is based on the environment. So from uh, electric cars to hydrogen cars and to electric planes where uh, environmental issues now become a, a driving force for the selection of the technology. And that may be due to incentives that uh, are put out by the government to encourage more um, environmentally friendly technologies. Yet, you know, we still have not solved the, some of the big problems of uh, waste. As we gain, grow in population, we are going to need to solve what we do with our plastics, our aluminums, and we really don't have a, a really efficient way of recycling and reusing a lot of these products. Now, it's true that with automobiles that we can recycle the metal and, uh, you know, I was watching a show where they had large tungsten grinders and they would put the car in and it basically in just a few seconds and shred that thing, the metal, and then they could uh, melt down the metal again and reuse it. So iron can be, and still can be reused from the vehicle. But you know, as we move to more electronic where devices where the car becomes the appliance, then we can, uh, once the appliance is broke, we can we'll swap it out. And it's still very interesting to know that the automobile, is ex even with electric vehicles, is still very complex. Um, you would have thought that with introducing an electric vehicle, that your car would be significantly um, less complex. You would have motors in the wheels, your battery, um, at the base of the car and uh, uh, and y your uh, control systems 
uh, all, all on the dashboard. And so basically you would have two trunks. You could have a trunk in the front and a trunk in the back. And so, you know, the configuration of the car could be changed. With self-driving vehicle, um, if you remove the steering wheel and everything was controlled by actuators in the uh, by the the computer, then you would have a small space for the bay where you have your computer, and then you would have actuators like robots that would control the uh, steering of the car, and then you would have maybe you could have twice the uh, space of the in the vehicle for a cabin because you're not you're not having to hold a steering wheel you're not having to press a, a uh, brake pedal or a gas pedal and, and and for that reason then the functionality of the car changes to more of a carriage and so uh, I like the concept that uh, ZooX proposed is that the return of the horseless carriage, which, uh, you know, you sit in the, in the carriage and then the, the horseman drives you to your destination. Um, Well, there's other things that can be automated uh, by AI. Why can't you have an AI system that uh, listens to emergency requests and then calculates who is uh, available in that area and sends out alert for for help and that you know that dispatching the let's say with the 911 um, if there were two people calling at the same time the computer could handle it you wouldn't get a busy signal on one they are you know you have the, the problem of a load balance here where if you had one operator handling dispatch uh, only one phone call at a time can be handled. Well, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a uh, crime in progress that causes a dispatch. It could be a fire or emergency or some sort of public response where the AI listens to the request and makes decisions uh, based on the uh, the content of the call. And so you could have then uh, things like bus dispatch or things where a person is doing coordination and uh, receiving information from a phone call. Why not let that all be processed by a machine and the decisions made by a machine? 
and like I said before, just like uh, self-driving cars, the machine technology has to be better than human, otherwise you have no incentive for improving that process by using a machine. Um, just as manufacturing now has begun to see the value of fully automated factories, where even your uh, warehousing or your distribution of your products is now being done by robots. The robots to retrieve boxes, to stack boxes, to package boxes up. Um, and uh, I remember one place where I saw uh, where the operator stacked the, the boxes onto a pallet. So they use a forklift to, to move the boxes onto a pallet. And then they had a robot that would uh, spin the box, the pallet, and put uh, plastic wrap around it. And then the, the operator that would uh, uh, prepare the pallet for loading onto the truck. And so, uh, you know, you can imagine how much work that would be for two people all day long to be wrapping boxes with uh, plastic wrap. It would uh, be a very tough job. And so these, these, these jobs that we are very difficult physically to do uh, can be done with robots. I don't think uh, if you were talking to someone that was working in uh, landscaping if the if you asked him about the bobcat the little bobcat with maybe even a backhoe um, if you would ask if that was easier to use a machine to do the work versus to have a, a team of people out there digging um, trenches or setting up for, uh, land at excavating the land you know how many hundreds of people would you need to move uh, all the earth around so that you could build a Amazon super center for dis distribution center so we use we use large equipment and some of that equipment now can do the excavation by either remote or automatically. And this is very big equipment, so that, uh, it doesn't have a human operator. Um, I haven't seen it with cranes. Cranes are very sensitive, but you can imagine how much control that human operator has to have. He's, he can be, I, I seen one time where a crane was lifting a truck. They took a truck from one area and lifted it up and put it down. They were digging a, for a large conference center. And so maybe a hundred feet down. And so they just had a way to connect the whole truck up and lift it up off the ground and put it 
uh, down where they needed the contents. I don't know why they did it. Maybe they just because it, they could, uh, or maybe there was some technical reasons why they it was unsafe to to move from one place to another. But the crane was amazing how much that it could lift, and it was you know hundreds of feet high. But I have seen some safety uh, videos where cranes have been lifting uh, and they exceeded the their max limit. And I don't know if the ground underneath them was maybe a little bit unstable, but the, there was some shifting of weight. And so that center of mass changed and the crane toppled over. And so, uh, you know, human error, I don't know how much that would have cost to, to fix the crane and to, um, you know, damage to the, I think they were lifting a bridge or something. And, there was, you know, it might not have been, you know, when you're working in tandem, uh, there's a lot of variables that can change. So you might be doing your part correctly, but if something goes wrong with the other person's part, then all of a sudden that shifts to you, your side, and, uh, and then you have, you have a massive problem. Um, You know, using the AI to image recognition to detect uh, when there's issues in safety. Why not have an AI that can uh, detect when there's things that are are going to uh, happen? For example, we using the flood uh, prediction or the uh, earthquake prediction. You're looking uh, to understand what stresses are occurring. So if you see acoustics, you're listening to the acoustics of the rock and you're listening to patterns in those acoustics. And you listen to uh, train the network on acoustics for areas where there were earthquakes and, uh, and then you listen to the acoustics in different areas, subduction zones. And um, the AI begins to learn that when acoustics get a certain level of intensity and frequency that a, a possible earthquake is occurring. So then you have the false positive earthquakes and predictions and then the true positive and maybe it's very localized to that area so it has to learn from the data in that area, but you haven't had a lot of earthquakes, so uh, you wouldn't ha you would have a limited amount of data. So you try to simulate some of this data. You try to try to transfer, learn some of it, and uh, maybe the rock is different uh, from different areas. So you know, having a generalized earthquake predictor isn't going to make sense. You're going to need a specialized earthquake predictor, and so. You know, it's still one of those things where you're trying to find that perfect niche where uh, AI fits in is important. But I've actually been starting to look at some of my older projects and saying, oh, you know, I could have used the PyTorch here, set up a neural net uh, to make a prediction. I was looking at uh, 
the uh, general social, well, actually predicting the Super Bowl, like, uh, you know, predict win-loss based on runs and passes completed and uh, home scoring, you know, predicting who would win. Um, and I didn't even necessarily predict to use a, a I didn't even use the visitor score, so that wasn't in there. It was just the, the I knew the outcome of the game, and so then I wanted to see who would be the winning team. And I used some of the averages, just like I did on the baseball I did with football, uh, to make to to use the historical data to train the net to see if a cup uh, if a if a cut uh, team through 35 yards average and had a six yard running average would they would would they have a winning uh, probability and so you know I got the the basics. I studied the you know the probabilities, which I think is very important before you actually go to deep learning. Is you know analyze your data from pro probability standpoint, and then you know look at the the probability distribution functions. Look at those Gaussian functions on your correlations, and then uh, try to decide if uh, based on those correlations if uh, uh, th there's a Gaussian distribution and if there is then you know that you've got a strong set of features that are going to help be useful for your predictions and so um, you know, getting more statistical knowledge and mathematics knowledge, I, I believe, is very crucial for machine learning and uh, for analysis work. I got my data camp analysis certificate uh, for those who are interested. So now I have the data science, the machine learning, and uh, and the data analysis. So I, I think I have three certificates completed. So. Um, getting through a lot of the material and I'm kind of anxious to see if DataCamp will start putting out some newer material, more material on PyTorch. Um, ask for it and uh, hopefully they they will uh, start putting that out. So that, that would be valuable to be able to get some more new content. <clears throat> but I, um, I like, I like DataCamp because I, I can uh, see what it can What about uh, AI systems that uh, uh, can use your voice as a recognition? So, you know, how do you how do you translate audio signal? <coughs> you know, put it into some foray transforms. Try to get some features in your voice that are uniquely uniquely yours, and then uh, try to figure out voice that has been cloned in other words uh, copied and then 
digitally altered or someone who's mimicking another person's voice or voices that sound similar, how do you get the voice to be a signature? So let's say my voice is a passport, you know, like sneakers. Well, a lot of times when we hear someone's voice, we're like, oh, I know that voice anywhere because of the tone, the pitch, the speed. There's lots of features um, that just in a short fragment of audible sound that we can detect that it is a voice. Well, Siri's now using breaking up into uh, uh, different sounds and you know using probabilities. But you know when you look at the machine translation. It looks at the it looks at uh, how experts would do the translation, and then uses the deep learning to learn from how an expert would do the translation from a language to another, and then it applies that same expertise to uh, translating between different languages, and they're finding that those translations are better, that they sound uh, more correct. And so for that reason, the machine translation has become really popular. And lots of companies now are using that to uh, translate their documents and um, translate speech that's um, going on between, uh, uh, between business people that are speaking in different languages. You know, and it's coming in pretty quick, so the translator has to, you know, process the words. Sometimes does it might have to have a lag to get the whole sentence, so uh, that it can it can figure out the best way to say that sentence based on how an expert would speak. So, what about uh, you know using AI? Also, to do the, the work right directly with the doctor. So you're collecting your information uh, on the patient. It's uploading. It's looking at uh, all kinds of things. Let's say it's looking at your genetics. It's looking at uh, DNA sampling that is looking for um, 200 different uh, kind of anomalies. Uh, it, perhaps it's pulling against an expert system, uh, looking at uh, you know the doctor's notes and um, giving correlations with the doctor whether or not they're agreeing on the prognosis and diagnosis. Um, also, it's looking at your medical history to see which uh, which uh, drugs will would work and which ones will have negative side effects uh, or which ones you can't have because of uh, potential allergic reactions. And then it's managing all of the different uh, drugs that you're taking and making sure that uh, there's no combination of drugs together that might be harmful to your body. Uh, also, it could be analyzing change like it could run uh, you know maybe from blood pressure it could look at your uh, 
it can look at your change between uh, uh, one segment of time and another. So um, those are those are things that uh, might be interesting to to analyze and have the machine analyze it. Uh, maybe it's also just like we we've said before with medical because of the characteristics and the indicators that they're gathered it's almost perfect for machine learning you know like for liver disease if you have um, a certain level of s uh, got or s um, tg you you or even uh, belly rubin or insulin levels or weight levels you know there's there's so many indicators uh, key indicators between the difference between healthy and abnormal and they were like those indicators were significantly different not just like in terms of percentages different it might be in terms of magnitudes different like maybe a hundred times higher for someone who had liver disease. What about heart disease, uh, obesity? You know, uh, you could do different calculations on different levels of weight. I'm working right now to lower my BMI because I could see that from studies of the BMI on diabetes on the Pima uh, Indian that weight had a factor in the diabetes so there may be things genetically and in the diet that contribute to excess weight and then the excess weight uh, somehow affects the body's ability to process insulin and I know yesterday I, I went uh, with a friend to lunch and we, and then uh, uh, they offered a free soda pop with lunch and by about three o'clock I, I was feeling shaky and the reason why is that your body has this rapid consumption of the sugars and then once it uh, 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 your body releases its insulin and so forth and then you have kind of this crash afterwards and so it's one of those things where, you know, we really like the, the sugars and stuff, but it, it, uh, it's really tough for our bodies um, to process it and, and maintain those, those uh, stable levels. I know sometimes I can go a um, whole day without eating when I want to, and, uh, you know, I, I get past those hunger craves and I'm feeling strong again, you know, and uh, it takes a, a lot of concentration to get through it. But, you know, once you're through it, you're not fighting yourself. Um, that you're, you know, you're having, you don't have those shaking feelings. So, yeah, soda pops are not good for me. I don't like them. I like the taste of them. Every once in a while, I get this idea in my mind that, oh, yeah, I can have this soda pop and it'll be fine. But usually the next day or that evening, I'm, I'm not feeling that great. So 
I guess this is just a personal choice, but for me, uh, um, I find that I'm, be I'm better off just drinking water. What about AI to, uh, you know, uh, find things that uh, need uh, repaired? You know, why can't you have an AI bot that that uh, goes along the road, it mows the grass down on the side of the road, it picks up the trash, um, keeps the you know keeps things looking nice, and just uh, you know you just release it out has 20 mile range then drives itself back to to its base and recharges or maybe it has a hundred mile range so you don't have to have road crews out there cleaning up trash and keeping things looking nice that it automatically does it um, you know robots AI to help um, with uh, conversations. What about an AI system that uh, can uh, detect uh, if a person is uh, going to do self-harm? So the AI detects from a conversation that a person is going to do self-harm and they uh, talk with the individual and effectively de-escalate the crisis so the individual uh, is no longer uh, going to, to hurt themselves. So now will machines be able to help individuals with mental disorders or they have brain diseases that uh, cause them to have severe depression? Can a can machine monitor their uh, electrical signals and then begin to help them as they approach these dangerous levels where they wanted to uh, inflict self-harm and then be able to uh, uh, negotiate with the individual to bring down their um, tension levels so that they can uh, function properly. You know, I, I just bought a uh, new bed and it has a massage capability. I love it, but it doesn't use any AI. It doesn't analyze, uh, you know, it doesn't analyze where you're tense. It doesn't do any thermal scans. You know, it doesn't adjust automatically. What about using AI to improve comfort? or leisure type of mechanisms. You know, we spent a lot of money for that feature um, and it has, you know, different modes. So you press the mode and, uh, and then you're able to utilize um, the, that, that feature and enjoy the uh, uh, benefits of, of uh, having massage by the, the bed so it's uh, one of those things where you kind of think well yeah that's uh, that's kind of obvious that uh, you know AI can be done there 
and, and you know you put in a little AI chip and so will things that have a market already that are striving to differentiate now start to, to implement AI to give them um, a better customer experience and uh, and then as you have that better customer experience um, will you then um, be able to um, uh, be able to get more customers okay I'll be thinking there for a little bit all right well some different ideas to try but try to think about how to take AI to make more money and uh, utilize that in your quest to uh, to create a company I saw that there were 9,000 startup companies that are AI based and 65% of those companies are receiving seed money so what that means is that they get that first round funding and see if there's any demand that can be created um, and if there you know is emerging technology that looks like there could be a market for it and they can find that market then uh, there's a win but there's so many interesting aspects to the AI that uh, that uh, there's a lot of companies now that are are starting up and offering their services um, like H2O AI, you know, where it's driverless AI and they're using these AI systems to uh, provide value to, uh, to companies now without having to do the Python coding, which is uh, something that, you know, would require lots of training to be able to do.